Welcome to the Call Center BS Podcast, where we give you all the ammunition you need to make sales. If you're in need of targeted leads, data, live agents, phone systems, direct-to-voicemail campaigns, or any other Call Center-related BS, make sure to visit our website, callcenterbs.com, to connect with us. Enjoy the show. Here we go. Welcome to the Call Center BS Podcast. My name is Anthony Basilio, and I'm joined today by Kevin Lavonis and Brian Loving, my partner out on the West Coast. What's up, dudes? I thought you were going to say McLoving for a second. <laughs> Brian McLoving. So these guys are out. Sorry if the audio might not be uh, that that good today. I'm over on the East Coast. Kevin's out on the West Coast with Brian, and uh, we're just working on building the $100 million business. So how was your day today, guys? Oh, man, it was hectic. It was one of those uh, call center days for sure. It was definitely a call center BS day. Yeah, yeah I couldn't. Well, you guys didn't have Pat there, who handles a lot of like all the little bullshit. And we started a new campaign today. And we had how many new guys on the phones today? Yeah, we put, you know, it, it was kind of a mix of everything. It was like, you know, uh, yesterday we hired, you know, four new people for one of our campaigns. And, you know, they all were in training yesterday. So we got them all up to speed. And today was their first day hitting the phones. And anytime that that happens, it requires a lot of attention from, you know, the sales manager, from, you know, myself, from Pat. Um, you know, there's always little IT issues or people can't log in or they don't, they have a question. So that was one thing. And number two, we had three other people start today for another campaign, um, a brand new campaign that hasn't yet launched. Today was the first day. So training those three people, making sure that, you know, IT wise, IT wise, we're ready to roll and um, answering all their questions and getting them ready to go. So with one man down, to say the least, it was uh, it was a bit of work, but we still pulled it off. I'll say this. I, I'm, I'm usually very against trying to run multiple campaigns in one office. Like I'm all about like focus. So when you first told me about it, my stomach turned a little bit because I know, you know, I just know just doing this shit for fucking 20 years, trying to do too many things at once. Sometimes, you know, you fuck up the other thing because you get your eye off the ball. It's just a part of business. But, you know, and I know the shiny object syndrome and I even talked about it when I talked at the merch conference and, you know, but when you showed me the lead generation for this particular campaign and how new, how the cutting edge, cutting edge technology worked for this, I was like, you got to be fucking kidding me. This looks too fucking easy. Um, but you sold me because you're a sales guy and I bought into it because I'm easily sold. The, be the best sales guys are the ones that get easily sold. Uh, but uh, we're like, fuck it, let's just fucking try it because what we're doing is actually difficult, to be honest. I mean, when I look at all the other call centers out there, I look at campaigns they're running, they look a lot easier than what we do. I feel like we always smart ourselves stupid and we always do things the hard way and we always try to innovate and, you know, we're going to do something that no one else is fucking doing. And, you know, doing that a lot of times, it could be rewarding, but it couldn't be a lot harder. So this new campaign we're running, we finally got it up today, right? The guys got on the phones, um, what, right at the end of the day and took three calls and already closed one deal? Yeah. And you know what's funny? Uh, going back to, you know, uh, two things I want to touch on. Go, going back to what you said on the you know, multiple campaigns in, in one room. It's so funny how throughout all of our years in call centers, really it, it hasn't worked. And, you know, I came up when I was doing consulting for call centers, I, I actually broke it down and figured out why it doesn't work. And 90% of the time why it doesn't work is because somebody's already making money doing something and they don't actually put the required attention and, you know, devotion and hard work and everything else. It's kind of like secondary, right? It's like the redheaded stepchild. 
It's like, yeah, we're making a bunch of money over here and we're going to start this new project. And, you know, they don't work on it like they did on their first project. So they don't even give it a chance to get off the ground or be successful. And then two or three weeks go by and they're like, man, this is a lot of work. We're not making any money. Let's just cut it. And I'm, I'm guilty of it myself. I've done it three or four different oh, times. Oh, yeah, so have we. Until I figured out, you know, why the real reason is. And it's like, if you worked on your first project as hard as you work on your second project, they'll both be successful. But one key factor in, you know, mixing the floor with multiple campaigns is making sure, like, the number one rule is making sure that one doesn't let the salespeople make a bunch of more money it's got to be like an equal product and equal playing field because you get guys wanting to jump ship from this side to that side and that side to this side i was just gonna say that dude i was gonna say i was just gonna propose that i was gonna just say that just now as you said it i say like, okay so we run the new campaign now these guys start fucking crushing it because the leads are so hot and so good. Now the other 12 people in the office that are selling the original campaign see the three new guys crushing the new campaign. Now they're like, well, why can't we do that? Well, the good thing is I designed the commission structures to be equally the same. So, you know, one, one program is going to sell like, you know, eight to, sale, eight to ten sales a day. And from those eight to ten sales a day, they're going to make X. The other program's going to sell, you know, two to three sales a day, and they're going to make X, and both of those X's are approximately the same. So one's doing a little bit more work than the other, but one's got a harder job to do. So at the end of the day, I mean, it's two different types of people. It's two different types of backgrounds, but they're going to make about the same amount of money no matter what side of the room that they're on, um, which is another key factor to making it work. If you're going to have two completely different programs, two completely different types of salespeople, you know, something that's going to be a lower level product and something that's going to be a high end product, then you definitely need to split that room in two and, and, uh, you know, separate the, the riffraff from the professional sales guys and let them roll that way with two different companies, basically in one room. Hey, listen, I'm all, I'm all, you know, I'm all for it. Again, it's against everything that I probably believe in, <laughs> but I mean, you know, it just, there's, I mean, I've been saying it now for months. I mean, you know, I, I love these campaigns you could run where you just have to sell and don't worry about fulfillment and customer service. You know, for those of you listening, you know, what we currently sell requires a lot of backend stuff. After the sales made, there's all this stuff we have to do, customer service, monthly calls, a lot of work. With this new campaign we're running, it's just literally sell the product and then you're done. You get paid and you don't have to ever deal with that customer again. I mean, it sounds a lot fucking better to me, <laughs> you know, compared to, but, but all we've ever done is do campaigns with customer service. I mean, right, Kev? I mean, I mean, I, I don't, we've never run just a sales campaign where we didn't have to take care of any back end stuff. Hold on. Let me think for a second. Uh, yeah, you're right. We, we, that's all we've done. We've done things. Are you saying we've done things the hard way all the time? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But, but you know what? It, like when we were all talking over the last couple weeks or a couple months, you know, there's something that I realized about the call center industry. There's really, I mean, it's it's kind of a, a business that not a lot of people know about until they get a little bit older in life. Nobody really knows it exists. It's kind of like an underground, you know, business, right? It's like they don't teach you about this stuff in school. They don't – nobody goes to school to be a business, uh, a call center owner or something of that nature, right? So with that kind of industry where it's not standardized, it's kind of everybody just runs it the way that they want to run it, there's there's not really a, a standard in the industry, right? There's not um, – you know, if you're in the mortgage industry, everybody pretty much does the same exact thing, the same exact way. They may get their leads a different way. But when you're in the call center industry, like selling smaller products and you can kind of flip from this product to that product and you're going to run this campaign this way and that campaign that way. Everybody has different dialers. Everybody has different leads. So two call centers are never, ever the same the way that they run. Never. But with that being said, you know, we're, we're talking a lot about a lot of these other people in business and, 
you know, there's a lot of money to be made in this in this industry, right? Millions upon millions of dollars. So much. And you look at some of these these guys. Uh, how do I describe them? That uh, maybe don't do things the right way. You know, so most of the time we look at them and they're like, we we say to ourselves, how does this fuckhead or this fuck up make so much money by doing what he's doing and you know, selling the simple product and just turning and burning thousands of them. And realistically, what it comes down to is, I think I figured, I think I finally figured it out, Ann. You know what it is? They're all running dirty. They're all running dirty, but <laughs> we're, we're, we're too old to be running dirty. We're looking for longevity, right? I'm not doing the fucking dirty thing no more, bro. I'm, I'm done with that. You know, we have a nice, clean business model right now. We're doing everything compliant. I'm not going to run, put all this effort to do something just for two, three years again and then have to do it all over. I'm fucking done with that. Exactly. So you, you guys keep saying like, you know, we look at one business model and we're like, oh, this is easy. We could just turn and burn like hundreds of these, you know, a week. And we don't have to do customer service. We don't have to do fulfillment. We don't have to merchant these accounts. We don't have to do this. We don't have to do that. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is easy. Let's just do it, do it, do it and make a bunch of money. But you know, we look at something else that we're doing and we're like, wow, this is really hard. You know why it's really hard? It's because we're doing it right. And we've yeah. got one thing in mind, like longevity. We take care of our customers. Customers take care of us. We're in business for a long time. We can actually build a business that's scalable. And you can and sell. Yeah, and something that has value in, in five years from now. Nobody's going to go in and buy one of these dirty rooms with 20 people in it that, you know, do a million dollars a month and, you know, Every uh, every every six months, they're moving locations. They're hiding. They're switching merchant accounts, changing names. Like it's just not a good way to live these days. It's actually it's actually amazing how often that stuff happens. And probably a lot of people have no idea what we're talking about. But you know, it, there's a lot of dirty call centers. A lot that run. You know, and and when I say dirty, you know, there's a couple parts of that. When I when I call it, number one is that it's if you don't have compliance in place and actually listen to what your sales guy remember your sales guys they're just trying to fucking put a dollar in their pocket and they'll say whatever they got to say to get that credit card over the phone and if you don't have third party uh call monitoring or listening to what the guys are saying they'll just start saying shit to make the fucking sale over promising under delivering and then causing problems for us causing problems with chargebacks Problems blowing up merchant accounts, customer complaints, complaints to the attorney general, complaints on the BBB, bad reviews on your Google. You can't, like, you, you know, maybe 20 years ago, you could run a dirty campaign and get away with it for a long time. But with social media now and with Yelp and Google and Facebook and how fast the word gets out if you are running dirty, like Kev, the guy I was talking about today, just a little while ago on the phone, I don't want to say his name, who's running really, I told you, I listened to his, uh, uh, yeah. his really dirty. You know, I went on his Yelp listing to look. You got to see what it says on there in the past three months. So there's 15 one-star reviews that are bashing the company. And then when you go to the hidden reviews on Yelp, there's another like 30 one-star reviews. Do not do business with this company. They are the worst. They fucking scam me. I mean, really, really bad, bro. I'm surprised. Like, like that shit's being looked at all the time by the FTC, by Homeland Security. Like, you know, there's, you can't run dirty for a long time. If you're going to play that game, you're bouncing from one to the next. You're recorping new merchant accounts, new LLCs, new location. I mean, you could run that way if you want and go hide your fucking money, which is I mean, stupid. We're talking about this. Like, that, those types of people ruin it for everybody. Right? They do. And it just, it just, it's just the way it works. So for us, for us internally, speaking of that, we, we, uh, you know, we do compliance. We had a compliance call this uh, today that lasted for, I don't know, maybe an hour internally. And we brought the two sales guys in. And, um, you know, the conversation went something like this. I'm going to play the call. You guys are going to write down what you said wrong. And uh, whatever you guys say, which is X, is going to equal to what I what I think is wrong, which is Y. And we're going to come to a conclusion. You guys are going to leave and you're going to be a better salesman. So 
you know, we went to it and there was a bunch of things that they shouldn't have said. And, you know, you got to do the compliance internally because if you don't do it internally, then there's going to be external compliance that comes down on your company and that's not going to be good. And that external compliance is going to be from who? It'll be from people that you don't want to do the external compliance. It'll be like the FTC or something that's that, uh, you know, Google or, you know, whatever companies that are out there that are that um, that are going out and uh, making sure that that uh, that stuff is adhered to. So, yeah. And the worst part is that if you're for external compliance, so you choose like it's going to happen. Uh, so you might as well police in, in, internally so you can prevent the external compliance coming in. Yeah, and then how it happens is, you know, like how it happened today, for example, was, you know, someone was sold, you know, a week ago, you know, sale went great, no problem. And then the customer called up a week later into customer service. I want my money back. This is what your guy said to me, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, so we have to say, hold on, we're going to pull the call. And if that was said, we apologize and we'll refund you your money. We pulled the call and, and the customer was right. In fact, the sales guy said exactly the wrong fucking thing. And then we had to, you know, refund the lady, call the fucking sales guy in. And, you know, that just leads to a lot of problems. So not only are the customers pissed, right? But now you have a sales guy who made sales for the week, right? And our commission structure is based on volume of sales. You make more money based on the volume of sales. Now, all of a sudden, he got two refunds in that week last week. So he thought he made 1200 but because of the two refunds, he didn't tear up. Now he only made 700 Now the check he was banking on on Friday, a lot of sales reps live, uh, unfortunately, check by check. So the check that was coming in on Friday that he thought was for X is now X, and now he can't pay his rent. Now he leaves, he's pissed, even though it's his fucking fault. Like, it's a snowball effect, right? Yeah, not, not only that but you know when when he said all the things that he said now he thinks that that's the way to sell because he got a deal off of it right so next three or four sales are probably just as fucked up yeah and the worst part is is it starts spreading like like what we call call center cancer right so now it spreads to his neighbor and you know i, I brought this up on the floor today we had like a 30 minute meeting i'm like you know, we're talking about one thing in particular. I'm like, first of all, we never ever discuss this. Like, people don't even know that this exists. And then somebody starts saying it. And then two people say it. And then if we don't catch the two people saying it, then four people are saying it. Then eight. Then the whole floor. And next thing you know, everybody's in trouble. I even asked him. I right? go, how did you? Where'd you get this information from? Like, where did you get this? Like, he this he heard it from somebody. He didn't fucking make it up. Uh, the guy's brand new. I said, it's okay if you don't know. I said, uh, if you're talking to a customer and they have a question or they have a statement, you can say, look, I'm writing down your question or statement. That's a really good point. And then address it. Like either you come to me, you go to you go to one of the managers and you can ask the question. It's all right. But just don't talk to talk. People don't like that. People know. People know that you're just, you're quote unquote BSing them. Ah, call center BS. It's true though. It's true. Did you ever tell everybody what call center BS means? Yeah, on the last podcast and on the live show I did on Thursday. By the way, guys, we do a live show every Thursday at 1 o'clock from our call center BS page. And then the podcast and the links to all our stuff is on our website, callcenterbs.com. But uh, I said it last time, I'll say it again. Call Center BS is brought, Brian bought the domain. It really stands for Call Center Business Solutions because, you know, Brian, uh, you know, B Brian has been in the coastal game a long time and he had a monster floor selling healthcare. Um, he was crushing it. I don't, what was your residual up to? Uh, I don't even know. 2.4, 2.6 million per month. Okay. And, uh, and, and what happened to him is exactly what we spoke about. There was, uh, you know, he got, uh, he got pretty much raided <laughs> by the FTC. I'm just putting it out there and had to shut down the whole operation. And, you know, when they come shut down your shit, they don't just come shut down your shit. They come take everything, everything you own, <laughs> all your bank accounts, all your property, all your cars. And without reliving Brian's pain too much, but I mean, he's talked about it so much in the past that I think it doesn't, is it still painful to talk about? You know what? I've, uh, it, it, people ask me that all the time, but it, it's kind of like, uh, uh, I, I, I would say that once you've already gone through it and you've kind of, you know, lived it, uh, learned from it, 
and figured out, you know, how you can not do things the same way next time. It, it's all, you kind of have to make amends with yourself, you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of one of those things like, you know, I, I, I guess I would relate it to, you know, somebody that's in rehab, right? They're like, oh yeah, like, I used to be a druggie. When they can say that they used to be and they're clean and everything else, it's kind of the same thing. <laughs> all right, well, good. I'm glad you're okay talking about it. Let me relive the moment. Imagine, imagine sitting in your mansion and then there's just tow trucks pulling up to your house, towing away all your 18 cars that you have circling your mansion and then tell you that you have to be out of your mansion by tomorrow because it's now government property and that your bank accounts are all frozen and everything that you had owned in your name is now completely gone uh, until the investigation is complete. And then you have to defend yourself with an attorney, but they froze all your shit so you have no money to defend yourself. So now you're under an investigation for 12 months with no money, everything frozen. You got to defend yourself because you're going against the FTC, but you got no money to lawyer up. So that's how it fucking happens. And you know what the worst part is? Not that you have no money, that... uh you can't even borrow money to hire an attorney from anybody. Oh yeah. You can't use any money that you made. Um, they freeze all your bank accounts. So there's no money that you can get to actually hire an attorney. So basically your hands are tied behind your back, but you know, you know, when we actually realized that, you know, shit was about to hit the fan is when you call to order a pizza for your, for your sales floor, and your fucking card with your bank account that has like a couple million bucks in it declined. <laughs> You're like, uh, are you <laughs> sure? So let me let me try another card. Oh, that one doesn't work either. It's really weird that you know you got a couple million bucks in the account. You can't order you know two hundred dollars worth of pizza. Good job, man. I can't even imagine. Yeah, so that's uh, that, that's when you know, I guess. And by the time you know, it's it's way too late, right? It would have been us, honestly. If we were, if we continued to do what we were doing years ago when we built the big call center, uh, you know that would that would have that would have happened to us. Yeah, pretty much the same thing. That would have happened to us too. I mean, we were already on the radar. You know, my name was in a couple of press releases, and you know, it wasn't like we were doing things that were that bad, just like you. But it wasn't in compliance, and the call center industry is a very heavily regulated industry. Like they're, you know, they're very about protecting people over the phone, doing phone sales. And it all stems from complaints. I mean, you know, that's where it comes from. You know, people start complaining on somewhere, whether it's BBB or to the attorney general. When enough complaints start piling up, they're like, who the fuck are these guys? They got 30 complaints in the past four months. Let's look into them. And then they start looking into you, and then they start they start calling customers who complained, asking them why they're complaining, and then next thing you know, they get a warrant to fucking tap your shit and tap your phones, and, and then they start building their case. And then next thing you know, all your shit's fucking gone, everything that you worked hard for. So, you know, we were gonna go, we were, we were going down that path, and then, um, you know, we, you know, before we got pinched, we just fucking shut it down. We got scared. You know, in hindsight, me and Kevin always talk about it. We could have made a lot of other decisions uh, at that time, but, you know, we were pussies at that time, and we got fucking scared because a buddy of ours got shut down and got a lawsuit slapped on him for $56 million. And, um, you know, we got scared, and, you know, our attorney told us to shut it down, which rightfully, that's the advice he's supposed to give you. And we listened and fucking fired 60 people in one fucking day, which was horrible. But uh, we were building a fucking empire, man. You know, we we just yeah. hit we just hit over ten million a, for the year in revenue. We were crushing it, going out all the time, this and that, and tables and clubs and bottles and doing whatever the fuck we wanted to do in Vegas. And then, boom! All of a sudden, everything just fucking changed. Yeah. So I went down to St. Kitts, and uh, on my way to St. Kitts, I got this book. The book's about outsourcing, and when I talk about outsourcing, I'm talking about how. What's the name of the book? I can't remember the name of it. I don't remember the title. I just remember the contents of the, of the book. But uh, how large companies and um, you know very wealthy individuals they use they use uh, companies in the Caribbean and how 
you know, Russian operatives use and CIA operatives use different different companies, uh, you know, from Nevis to St. Kitts to... Uh, Nevis another, is a big one. Yeah, British Virgin Islands to, um, uh, I don't know, a bunch of, a, a bunch of different places to, to move money around and how a lot of money is overseas and how, you know, governments can't tax the money because they set up these structures. So it's, uh, it was a really interesting read, but... I forgot where I, was, where I was going with this, but... but uh, you just brought up a fucking outsourcing out of nowhere. You just took a left turn. You said about outsourcing, and you just turned the whole conversation. Oh, yeah. So, so the point is, like, all these big companies, including Apple, Google, they, they, set, up these, they set up these subsidiaries where they're, they're funneling money outside the United States. And if they do get in trouble, right, all they do is they pay a fine, right? So... I forgot they they numerous cases after case where oh yeah you know they, they got in trouble they paid thirty eight million dollars you know uh, what what bank was it the bank the big German bank Deutsche Bank got in trouble and they with uh, with uh, tax evasion they paid off like a hundred million here a hundred million here so what happens is the risk right is on the company but the executives who, who end up like doing the the things that they shouldn't be doing are let off well it's so, like. So, so the company, you know, the executives get paid their 20, 30, 40, 50 million, whatever the case is. And the only person that, that actually has to, uh, you know, pay the government is the company. But the company still survives. Well, it's like Brian used to say back when we first started, what Brian used to do consulting exactly for. Exactly my point. That's what I was getting to. It's right? like, you know, at our level, we are the company. At $15 million a year, you are the company. Right. At $30 million a year, you are the company. When you get to $150 million, 200 million, 300 million, you're not the company anymore. The government comes in, doesn't like what you're doing or some agency, they find the company, the company pays it off, you still survive, the company still survives. All these companies that end up like Bank of America, text messaging people uh, illegally. They yeah, fined, I remember that. You know, millions of dollars. Um, Wells Fargo going out and defrauding, custom, defrauding people for, for mortgages. Okay, they're still alive. It's because they're too big. They're big enough. They make a deal with them. They pay off. That you know the, the agency looks good. They write they write their article in the paper, send it out. Yeah, we, we find them, but the executives still walk away with with the money. They still they still are okay with the bad things that happen. So, you know, it's it's slightly unfair because if you if you're if you're the 800 pound gorilla and you're in the company, you still survive. Your career may end, but you're still walking away with tens of millions of dollars. And well, I'm just being very transparent. Like that's how it works. Well, I mean, like, that's why. And you get fine. You know, Peter Thiel said it the best. He goes, "If you're a millionaire, but you're a single-digit millionaire, you can't afford a lawsuit where they come after." I forgot what, what exactly he said, but you can't afford a lawsuit where they come after you. Like you're gonna, you're you're done. He said, a "Single million, single-digit millionaires, they can go out of bed, they can lose everything immediately." That's why you got to blow past that fucking, you got to, you know, you got to blow past it. You got to, he said, you got to, these days, the only way to survive a lawsuit, you got to have more than, you know, the single digit, you got to have double digits. Yeah. So like Brian used to say, like, remember he used to always tell us was, you know, you're, you're under the radar until you get to about 10 million. Then when, then when you get about 10 million, now you're on the radar. So you got to get from 10 million to 50 million as fast as you could and get past that and become big. Where you you're not going to get sucked in if it's sucked out. You got to blow through the danger zone. Yeah, but, but but it's right. I mean, subjectively, we may have different numbers. I, you know, he says fifty, I say like two fifty, right, two hundred fifty million. But there's that there's that number in there where you are the company. You can't afford a lawsuit. You can't drag it on, right? You can't you can't do that. You're just done. It's, <laughs> it's the danger zone. It's the danger zone. Yeah. And, it's, and it's real. It's true. It's, it's true. I mean, at the end of the day, too, you got to look at the, the industry, you know, like the same industry that you guys were in, right? When when that industry um, comes out and starts making big headlines in the news, like, you know, this industry is calling a bunch of people. This industry has a bunch of complaints. Like, that becomes, you know, a blip on the radar. Like, hey, you know what? Uh, whether it's the FTC or whoever it is, is like, Look at there's all these companies doing the same thing, you know, ripping off all these customers. They all have bad reviews. You know what? Let's go out and let's pick one of them, usually the biggest one and or the dirtiest one, and let's go shut them down. 
and then that way everybody in the industry kind of will dissipate from that from that product or that service let's go make an example out of these guys let's put together a 50 million dollar lawsuit that nobody really knows behind closed doors they probably settled for like 100 grand and uh let's just go write it up let's get it in the paper let's get it in the press let's shut it down let's scare everybody let's get everybody out of this industry and then we'll move on to the next one so you know public perception is really important i mean it is i mean think about it when you know you were in the private jet business and, and that whole industry came down because well it didn't technically come down perception was like all these ceos are flying all over the country and then i called you up and i remember hey Ann. Are, are they really like not flying anymore? He's like, no, they're just not talking about it. Remember? Yeah. About yeah. Oh, when that whole when that whole thing happened with Chrysler, or, yeah. or GM or whatever it was, when yeah, they yeah. when they when they showed how much they were spending on private, uh, yeah, and like how how they claimed bankruptcy. It was one of those big companies claimed bankruptcy, yeah. but then all the all the money came out and how much money on private uh, aviation was spent, and then you know people got pissed. You know, and then, you know, so then, you know, they were saying they weren't going to fly no more. Let me tell you something. That business is booming, booming. Like, I, I, like, I try to explain to people, like, I really, I don't know how much you guys know about the private jet business, right? But I don't, I didn't know much about it until I got in the industry. And when I got in it, I did it for three years. And I was like, I can't believe how many people fly fucking private. Like, I was like, like, I was like a broker as a jet broker. Like, you know, I would get somebody on the phone and they want to, they want to, like in the jet business, you could either own a fraction of a jet, which, you know, which only very wealthy people do. That's if you fly fucking two, three times a week, you know, where it makes sense to pay for it, even to have your own plane. Like Grant Cardone has his own plane. You know, he does it more for his brand recognition than I remember what Gary Cardone told us. Yeah. He's like, I told Grant not to buy, you know, you guys know Grant Cardone. We do business with his brother, Gary Cardone, and we actually met him for lunch. This is actually a good story. You want to hear the story? Because Brian's involved in the story, right? So I know you guys know who Grant Cardone is, and, you know, we love Grant Cardone, and we follow him, but we do business with his brother, Gary Cardone. He has a, a big company called Chargebacks 911, and they help uh, guys like us who have merchant accounts, uh, which are high-risk which in our business, we're high risk because we're taking credit cards over the phones. It's CNP, which is card not present, right? Meaning like when you go to a store to buy something, you give your credit card and you sign it. Over the phone, you're just taking car, uh, you know, numbers over the phone, so it's a high risk. So we can't use Chase or Bank of America to process credit cards. We have to use high risk processors, and therefore it's more risky. You pay, we pay higher fees on credit card transactions, and you gotta, you gotta control your chargebacks too. So anyway, Gary Cardone, um, he uh, he owns a company, so we flew to go see him. Right, we we made a trip. We had a trip lined up for three days. Me, Brian, and Kevin, and okay. Pat. Wait, 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 wait. We didn't just fly to go see him, right? Yeah, I, I know. I threw, <laughs> I threw a red eye. I picked up a car. I drove two hours to pick up your ass, and then we drove another thirty minutes to go to the meeting. Yeah, so we had a meeting lined up that first day at Gary Cardone's office. Brian flew red eye, no sleep, drive from fucking one airport to the other because there was no flights going into there. It, you know, it, it was a, you know, for me and Kevin, it was right down to Florida. It's easy right here, north, south. For Brian, it was a fucking stretch. And uh, we get to the guy's office. We've been doing business with him for like, I don't know, five, six years. We walk in. And yeah, we're here to see Gary. And they're like, Gary? They're like, he's not here. He's in London. We're like, what? So he, call, he calls my phone. He's like, dude, I'm so fucking sorry. He goes, I can't believe that this happened. Uh, my, my secretary, I'm like, dude, my partner just took the fucking red eye. He's no sleep, drove, picked up a rental car, drove two hours to come meet you face to face. So, you know, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'll make it up to you. So we actually walked out, got in the car. Brian was so pissed. And then Kevin actually brought us back to our senses. You know what? We're here. Let's go talk to at least some. He's like, look, I got my, my VP here. He'll talk to you and I promise I'll make it up to you. So we went back in. And actually, the guy we met with was actually very knowledgeable, answered all our questions. We were still pissed, but, you know, then we left there. He called me up. He's like, hey, when are you going to be in New York? Um, like two weeks later, whatever it was. I said, yeah. He's like, I'm going to come meet you. So then um, he texts me a week later. Hey, I want to confirm this date. I'm flying in from, you know, from London to come see you, just to come see you. 
I go, all right. He goes, what's the closest airport? So I kind of was joking and I said, uh, what, uh, commercial or private? And he's like, private. I was like, holy shit, this motherfucker flies private. I'm like, I didn't know he was that big. I know Grant Cardone's a monster. I didn't know that Gary flies private too. Like, you know, if you fly private, you got to be making at least three, four million a year in your pocket to justify paying 50, 60,000 for these flights. When you're coming overseas from London on a six hour flight, that's like a fucking $40,000 trip. So I said, all right, Teterboro, Teterboro Airport is like one of the biggest um, private jet hubs here on the East Coast. Everybody flies to Teterboro if they're, if they're from New York. So it's in New Jersey. It's right down the block over here from us. And, uh, and we said, like, all right, pick me up from the airport. So we fucking, me and Kevin went to the private airport and he fucking flew in on a fucking Falcon 50, which is a heavy jet, probably a thirty-five, dollars $40,000 flight. We picked him up, took him to lunch. I was like, dude, I'm like, you didn't have to fucking come all the way here. He's like, dude, I fucked up. He's like, bad. He's like, you've been one of my clients for five. It's not like we spend that much money with him. We maybe spent 40,000 over four or five years with him. Maybe a little more, but nothing that much, you know? And uh, he's like, dude, I fucked up. I own it. He's like, I had to make good on it. So I'm fucking here, dude. And he took a private jet to come fucking see us and meet with us, which was amazing. And he, and because of that, we're continuing to do business with him. I mean, he really, that he fucking owned it, Right. So you know, you know what? That wasn't even the worst. That wasn't even the worst part. Like, I love, I love uh, the Cardones, both of them, and I love doing business with them because they're straight up businessmen. But you know what the worst part was after that whole thing? What? The four-hour drive to the other side of Florida with Kevin in the car. (laughs) (laughs) I knew you were gonna say that. (laughs) Oh man, that was fun. It was good. Like you own up to the mistakes, you just move on, and I think everybody respects that. At least in the United States. I mean, right? <laughs> Maybe in other countries, people hold grudges, but it just you just move on. Dude, that was a power move. I mean, huge. But anyway, circling back to what I was talking about, you know, my uh, my, my my son plays soccer um, right next to, t- to the airport in a soccer field, and when I go to practice with him, because I help coach, I'm only there for an hour. I gotta tell you because the jets fly right over to land, they're coming every five fucking minutes, bro. One after another after another. It's actually incredible just to keep watching how many people are spending, how many people have the money that are making that much money that are just flying private nonstop all the fucking time. And it's a very addicting thing. Like if you talk to guys who fly private who can afford to fly it, once they do it a couple of times, they don't ever want to fly commercial again, dude. I mean, I have you guys ever done it? I have, yeah. Yeah, have you done it, Kev? No. I mean, literally, you park the car, you walk through the FBO. The FBO is, it's, that's what the airport is at a private jet. It's called a fixed-based operator. Um, and you literally, you walk in, like you don't even break stride. <laughs> like you just walk in, you keep walking right onto your plane and then you take off like five minutes later and you bring whatever you want with you. There's no fucking security, no taking off your fucking shoes. You just get on the plane and it's a party in the fucking sky. You, you know, know another thing that was and amazing. The, and the best part is when you get back, your car's all washed and clean and sitting in the hangar, like it's all detailed. <laughs> when I walk, when we walked in to pick up Gar- or uh, Grant, no Garrett, Garrett, actually was Grant. Um, so I asked the woman. Remember, we asked her, was like, "When's the when's the plane coming in?" She goes, eh, "I don't really know." Yeah. Remember, I was, like, I was like, "What? What do you mean? I don't really know." I was thinking to myself, and then I asked, um, I asked Angie, but you also told me that uh, air traffic control is optional. Right, remember? I don't know if you told me that or not. I didn't tell you that. that. I don't I didn't know about that. But, but private jets, air traffic control is optional. It's like it's like nonchalant. Like, oh I don't I, they were supposed to be in, but they're not. In the meantime, the one guy walks right past me right onto a private jet and takes off. It just takes it's, off. It's like, it's like like minutes, dude. It's like you can literally just walk right through, walk right on. I don't know. She might have just not even said anything to me. I could have just walked up and walk. It, it, dude, the one time I did it, you know, when uh, Al took me on, uh, took me to go to the Super Bowl with Giants Patriots 2010. Uh, dude, we got on the product G4. There was 11 of us, a couple big wig stock brokers, a couple friends of his, all rich people. 
And dude, you're just up, you're fucking playing cards on the plane. There's a cocktail waitress they're all flirting with. They're doing shots. They're gambling. Who's playing PlayStation in the back on the fucking couch? I mean, it's a fucking party in the sky. It's, 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 to me, it's fucking incredible. I like, to me, one of the biggest perks of being wealthy is being able to do that, dude. It's fucking amazing compared to what we go through to go to fucking United and go through all that bullshit and sit next to some fucking fat guy who's trying to steal the fucking arm thing from you and you're fighting with him for the fucking arm thing. I, I can't fucking take it no more. So, you know what? It doesn't even matter what you do in the sky. It's just not being on that regular fucking commercial plane. Uh, it's stuffy environment with the sick person next to you, the baby in front of you. Uh, it doesn't matter even if you're flying first class you can still hear all those motherfuckers in the back. Like, it still sucks, no matter what. <laughs> uh, dude, I, I told Kevin, I was, uh, I don't know if it was a flight coming out there or not, but I was in this fucking row with this huge guy next to me. And I don't know, I forgot, I think it was like, what's that really shitty airlines, like Spirit? Uh, it was one of those fucking things, dude. And that one. Dude, you could not move. I mean, my knees were in the seat in front of me. I couldn't, I had the middle seat. I was fucking, I was enraged at how tight it was. And the guy next to me was bitching for like the first hour about that fucking, he can't move. And he fucking, and, I, and then like, I just turned like, you know what, dude? And he's blaming the, he's blaming the fucking spirit, blaming the, I'm like, you know what? It's not their fault. It's fucking my fault. And it's your fault. And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, it's our fault, bro. Because we don't make enough money to fucking sit up there in the front where they have all the leg room. So stop blaming them. Blame yourself. And he looked at me. He's like, you're right. <laughs> and then he shut up for the rest of the fucking flight. <laughs> did you ever, did, have, you ever, have you flown Southwest lately? I flew Southwest once. And it was like, I remember when I did it, it was like, you, you line up like a fucking herd. And, yeah. and there's I no, there's no Southwest plane like on my trip back from Mexico two weeks ago or a week ago, whatever. It, it, they give you a fucking number and you stand by this pole, and then you run on the plane and you try to find whatever seat you want. Dude, it's it's it, I, like I they said to me, I'm like, what's what's my seat number? They're like, you have just a number. I'm like, so I'm sitting in number two. Like, no, you're group two. I'm like, what does that mean? So you get online and when you get on a plane, you go get a seat. I'm like, you just sit wherever. He's like, yeah. I'm like, what the fuck is this? And like, and fucking, it was like, our herd was fucking on the plane, like grabbing, who's trying not to grab the middle seat? Who's climbing over the other person? I'm like, this is fucking crazy. I've never seen anything like this before. I'll never fucking fly there again. It, it sucks, dude. I hate it. Like, everybody's like, oh yeah, you get to sit wherever you want. And you know what happened? We sat down and we sat down. We're like, oh yeah, this is good. Oh, you know what? Let's move up one. And then we moved to this other row, right? And then next thing you know, all these people come in and we're like, yeah, this is good, this is good. And then we take off, we moved to the row in front of the exit, and the seats don't work. Ah, there's we nothing had worse. Good seats, and we moved, and we, ah, it just killed me. Well, speaking of flying, you know, Kevin is the only person I know who actually took off when the Super Bowl started exactly the same time. I kept, what time's your flight? It's like Sunday, 645. I'm like, so you're leaving the second the Super Bowl starts and you'll land after the Super Bowl is over. He's like, oh yeah, I didn't know it was Super Bowl Sunday. I gotta say this, the airport wasn't packed, but it wasn't empty. It was like right in between. There's a lot of people flying on Super Bowl Sunday. Did he you, said nobody was on his flight though. <laughs> did you have a direct TV on it? Yeah, but he, I, but he fell asleep. <laughs> during the game? Dude, it wasn't 100% like active the whole time. I probably saw maybe a quarter of the game. They just kept opening it out. And the pilot made an announcement. He was like, we're re we, we apologize. We're trying to get it. You know, we're trying to get going. We're going to fly through some dead spots. And, um, and, you know, everybody was watching it. And literally everybody on the plane, minus like two people in the corner watching cartoons, probably kids doing that. They were all watching Super Bowl. Yeah, but you won money, didn't you? Who next to me was watching the Super Bowl. But didn't you win money? Yeah, I called, what did I do? I called you up. I go, Aunt, let's bet $5,000 on the Patriots. And what did you tell me? Yeah, I said, no way. You're crazy. And But you know... I know what I'm talking about in terms of football. I said, you got to listen to me, which you didn't listen. Kevin knows nothing, <laughs> hey, nothing about the, football. Wait a minute. Who's the quarterback for fucking Patriots? Brady, dude. Oh, he knows. Wow. No, watch this. Who's the quarterback for the Rams? 
Oh, wow. Who told you that? What do you mean? I watched the game. I need he's, a quarterback. He's selling all over Facebook. Well, at least you didn't miss anything, dude. I know. You could have fell asleep the whole game and watched one play. It was pretty much the yeah, same. But the whole, football game. games, like one score away, I was scared all the way to like the beginning of the fourth quarter because it could have just turned. Well, listen, in case this all falters, this weekend, I finally figured out how to make money from gambling. Yeah, don't do it. And I test it. No, no, no. I actually found a strategy that works, and I'm going to test it. All right? I, I tested it Saturday. I'm going to test it again. You ready to hear it? Yeah. It's going to make a lot of sense. You ready? Okay. So, Mike Iorata, what does he do for a living? You're asking me? I'm asking you. Yeah, I'm asking you. He analyzes, uh, you know, fights and... UFC. Uh, yeah, UFC, yeah. So, my friend Mike, big fucking 275-pound monster, he works for a company called Fantasy Guru Elite, right? Check out the site. And it's a, um, it's a fantasy site where there's people talking about football and basketball and how, you know, because you guys know DraftKings and FanDuel. It's really big now. It's legal. And now they have, now sports betting is now legal in New Jersey, like regular sports betting. You could just go online and make bets on whatever, right? So Mike is the number one authority right now in calling the, the fights. So the, UF, the way UFC works is every Saturday they have fights. And there's like 12 fucking fights every single Saturday, right? So Mike, Mike's job is he writes an article. This guy's sick. He breaks down every fucking fight. He watches film and he writes an article and he predicts the winners of every fight and people go bet on what he says, right? So he has a lifetime so far since he started doing this two years ago, 75% winning percentage of call. Hold on, hold on. Let me explain. 75% winning percentage, right? Of calling the fights. Since he started doing this two years ago, I'm talking about fucking oh, thousands of fights, right? How do we turn up to 100? Wait, listen. So I listen, I figured it out. So I'm like, okay. I'm like, so, you know, we're, and I'm not a gambler by any means, so Dom, and I've never been good at it, all right? But, you know, where people get fucked up with gambling is when you try to bet parlays and try to pick three things at once, right? If you gamble on a fight, right, and you pick one, or the other, you got a 50-50 shot of winning, right? Now, the odds might be fucked up, right? It might it might be minus, the guy might be favored minus 225, which means that you got to bet 225 on that guy to win 100, right? You guys understand that? Yeah. All right. So, you know, so Mike just calls the winners, right? So, even if you got to lay out 225 to win 100, you're still going to win 100 bucks, right? 75% of the time. Follow me? Yeah. No matter what, even if the odds are heavy in the favor, you're still good. You're still going to win 75% of the time. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to just bet this Saturday night on DraftKings. I did it. I looked at his article. I said, like, I'm going to take $100 and I'm going to bet it on one fight. And if I win, I'm going to bet the next fight $100. And if I win, I'm going to bet, I'm going to keep it. I'm going to just roll it. And let me see, you know, based on his picks. So I bet five fights, $100 each fight, right? Favorites or underdogs, whatever he picked, right? And I won four out of the five, 80%. I just picked exactly who we picked, no matter what it was. One guy was minus 165. One guy was an underdog plus 130. And I, so I bet 500 bucks and I won, uh, and I won, um, I won nine, I won 450 bucks betting his, betting, just going on what he said, betting one fight at a time and picking the winners. So now I have $900 in my DraftKings account. I'm like, fuck it. I'm just going to roll this into next Saturday, go through his article, and do the same thing. This time, pick nine fights, bet $100 each fight, and let me see if I win 75% of those fights. And if I do, then I got a business model. <laughs> Sounds simple enough. But does that but does it make sense? We got to tie this into a call center, so... We gotta start a business model around DraftKings. No, but but like I I know I know I'm being funny, but at this but doesn't that make sense though? If Mike realizes it does, but why do you think there's juice on it? Because even if when when you lose those for sure bets, now you're losing a lot more, which is offsetting your winning. So even if you're right seventy five percent of the time, you're probably only winning about thirty five percent of your money. Which is still good. Which though. is still good, but that's the, if it all plays out. The whole goal is just to be up at the end of the night and not down. 
You know what happens though? You're like, oh, this one's a lock. I'm going to put all my money on this guy. And then boom, there goes your whole fucking No, no. Here. See, that's, that's where you go wrong, right? You got to just yep. stick to the strategy, right? You pick all the fights to whatever he picks and you bet the same amount on each one. That's it. Never, I never think that. I, ne, never, never bet more because you got a hunch that this guy's gonna, you know, just bet the same on every fight, favorites or or underdogs, and just bet the board hundred dollars each fight. And if it wins, the next week you double it and do two hundred a fight. I, I got a question. What does this have to do with call centers? It, <laughs> that's all right. Nobody's listening that's, this far in the fucking. No, uh, the thing in, is, in the here, podcast here's anyways. how we relate it back. As a call center owner or a rep. This is your mindset, right? You go in, you gamble a little bit, you're on the phones, you take 200 calls, you make three sales. No, this is the same as business. Like 75% of our call center businesses actually work. And, uh, you know, the other 25% don't. So those are yeah, all right. the things that we throw in the toilet. Listen, actually, it's it's multiple streams of income. Actually, mo- most of the time when I found out from call centers is one – or I think this is actually a true business statistic when I last looked at it, is one out of 10 new businesses actually fail, um, actually succeed. So 90% failure rate on, um, on businesses, right? So one out of 10 actually succeed of new businesses. And it's a lot like call centers because when you're good at what you do in a call center, you can maybe do like seven out of 10 will actually succeed and three of your products will fail. But when you're really bad in a call center, uh, you might only have one product that's good and you try nine other things and they all fucking fail. Yeah, I, I, you're right, right? But at the same time, if you look at the businesses that do fail, right? It's usually like dumb shit, like a fucking frozen yogurt joint. Like, yeah, yeah. like, you know, like a buddy of ours, I'm not going to say his name, but, um, you know, he said he was going to open up a fucking yogurt, a yogurt shop, right? He's like, yeah, I'm opening up a yogurt shop. And immediately I'm thinking, how much fucking money you think you're going to make selling fucking yogurt, you jerk off? I'm like, hey. your chances of failure are high. And even if it succeeds, what are you living the fucking dream selling fucking, uh, you know, vanilla bean fucking frozen yogurt? Like, what, are you, what are we talking yeah. about here? You know what's funny? I actually almost bought yeah, see? a fucking yogurt store. And you would have failed. And you know what I found out about a yogurt store? You know that you're, they get into a lot of trouble from the um, the food, what are those? FDA? The health department? Because to legally operate one of those things, you're supposed to empty the machine every fucking night. Yes. Throw away all of whatever's in there. So if you just filled it up, made a new batch, whatever, and nobody fucking ate it, you got to throw it all away. You got to clean up that machine and you got to get it ready for tomorrow. And then tomorrow you start making yogurt again. And at the end of the day, you throw out all your shit again and you clean that machine. There's all these places that are like, well, if we don't clean out our machine every day, we could double our profits because we're not throwing away all the shit. So they don't clean them out for like two or three or four fucking days. And next thing you know, you're eating all this fucking bacteria. So, and, and you got fucking high school kids running the joint. Yeah, you got yeah. high school. The only reason, the only reason why I was uh, gonna buy it is my my wife was in the uh, custom cake business. She used to do wedding cakes. She used to do uh, you know extravagant fucking birthday cakes. I mean, people would spend a thousand dollars on a on a birthday cake or eight hundred bucks on a on a party cake and you know when you get into wedding cakes you're talking about you know two grand three grand four grand sometimes five grand um so at the end of the day when you have a yogurt shop that can also be a bakery you're bringing people in for yogurt and they're like oh mom look at that cake i want that cake for my birthday you know that spongebob up there next thing you know it's a 300 cake right there and a 400 cake over here and a thousand dollar cake over there so that was my spin on the whole yogurt tie it into a bakery shop it just sounds like it sucks like all it these does. And you know what it was more for the wife give her something to do she have her own business and then i would be the you know most of our i don't know about your guys wife, but most of our wives don't know how to run businesses i hope i don't piss off anybody but at the end of the day <laughs> like you know my, my my wife's great she's she takes care of the kids and the family and the whole nine yards and 
she's not a business person. She does not run a business. And it, it's, it's a lot of these people that, uh, like my wife, that, oh, I'm going to buy a yogurt shop. This is going to be so much fun. And then they have no idea on what it really takes to be successful. You're married to that fucking business like 16 hours a day. And, you know, she don't have the time to do that, taking care of the kids and everything else. So it was going to be my job. Usually, usually these businesses, these small businesses, they're, they're not well thought out from a financial perspective. That's where they fucking fail. They, they, not, they don't really, you know, have good financial structure underneath them. They just think about the, them owning a fucking frozen yogurt shop or a fucking pet grooming joint and not thinking about, you know, like, how much money can you yeah. fucking make fucking combing dogs' hairs? Like, what are, what are we talking about? I was just, <laughs> I'm going to leave it off with this. I was driving to Newark Airport, and I would always pass this awesome bagel shop. I'm like, man, this bagel shop is fucking killer. Look at it. It's so, so nice. Look at all the bagels. Which one? <laughs> I forgot it was like green bagel or some shit like that. I forgot what it was. And then one day, it's not there anymore. And it said there's like a, a shoe shop there. I'm like, what happened to it? It's not a business. I, I look at that. But they like, probably turned out good bagels. Like it doesn't even matter. You know how that business works? The bagel, the bagel. I know. I actually know about this. You know how it works? The bagel business, and it's very similar to the car wash business, right? How many times you go to a car wash and it's a fucking awesome car wash? You tell all your buddies, and all of a sudden one day it just fucking sucks. You're like, what happened? This car wash used to be fucking great. So like. Car wash and bagel shops are similar. What they do is these people come in who know what they're doing. They build the business up, right? They build up their revenue and then they sell the business. And then the new owner comes in who is like, doesn't know how to run a business. And then they fuck it up and run it into the ground. So bagel shops, they, they're all built to be sold. Car washes are all built to be sold. That's what they do. Like that fuck. You know what? It's crazy. Like some of these businesses, like I, I look at like the bagel shop, right? Or... I, I don't know where else I was. I'm like looking at this other place, like the, you know, the, the jump places, right. Where the kids go jump for $10 yeah, for an hour or whatever. Right. Yeah. I, I look at those places and I'm like, all right, do you know what the rent has got to be at like one of these jump places? Oh yeah. I mean, you're talking like minimum 10, 15, $20,000 a month. How know? about the insurance? And then the insurance and then the, the $300, 500000000 million worth of equipment that they had to buy and all this other shit, right? And I'm like, okay, I look around, I see 20 kids jumping. Okay, great. You're making 200 bucks an hour for eight hours. You're making 1600 bucks a day. You multiply that by 30 days, like whatever. Yeah. You're, you're, you're not – how are you even in business? You're making like $30,000 a month and your fucking rent is 15000 Plus your employees, plus your insurance, plus your everything else. Like, how are you staying in business? Or if you look at it the other way, the bagel shop, what are they making? 97 cents a bagel? Your rent's a thousand bucks. You got to sell a thousand bagels just to pay your rent. It's you fucking, it's, bro. It's fucking insane. It's maddening. It's crazy. Like, I, I'll give you an example. The pizzeria down the road over here, Sicily, that's been here for a while. And I know the owner really well. The owner makes, made all his money selling bread. He's a, he's a, he's he back and forth to Pennsylvania, taking bread from Jersey, bringing it over there, opened up a pizzeria and it took him a while to get going, dude, spending thousands and thousands of dollars on fucking flyers and fucking mailers just to get his name out there. And you know, until they hooked up with Grubhub and Uber Eats, they were not doing good. He was in the, he was in the red all the fucking time. Like, it, and, 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 they're, and they're, the food's fucking great. I mean, Kev, how many times we've eaten there? I mean, high quality food, everything they make. I've been there over a hundred times. Uh, hey, you've been... I think I've eaten there a hundred times. <laughs> <laughs> probably, I, probably yeah, and, and he has a good quality fucking joint, but I mean, you know, just... Uh, all I'm saying is this from before, a good product does not guarantee That's success. That's what I'm trying to say. The guy's, the guy's probably one of the best pizzerias around with great food, but just because because he has the best food doesn't mean people know who he is. It happens all the time where you see a good product and it's just not around anymore. Like, how did they even go out of business? Like, they followed all the rules that I would follow. Good product, good service. They're not around. Can what I the fuck are they? Can I tell you, I think that we went there one time. Didn't we go to the, the, the Togo's right around the corner one day? Over here, it's, the, it's right by in Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. 
So I got to tell you this story. I know that we have we have not talked about the call center shit for like the last thirty minutes. They all but... appreciate it anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah. So this Togo's, my buddy actually used to own this Togo's back in the day when we were younger. Okay, and he hired like all of our friends used to work there and make sandwiches, this, that, and the other. The guy was probably making like a good fifteen grand a month, and this is like, you know, we're we're all in our 20s like 15 grand a month he's owning a togos and he's making 15 grand he's doing great right that same togos is still there to this day like 15 years later right and it went up for sale and i i told pat i'm like listen this togos there's a big problem with it every time we go there they're understaffed where's your and i always ask them like why is it so busy Oh, we had an employee quit on us this morning. Oh, why is it so busy? Oh, my employee's out sick. And you see the husband and the wife in there running around like chickens with their head cut off. Don't know. They're running into each other. It's almost like it's almost like a uh, it's almost like a fucking hidden camera TV show. Like they're bumping into each other, making sandwiches. Nobody <laughs> knows who's ringing up what. They don't know what number the sandwiches are. I'm like, oh, I have a number nine. And they're like, oh, you want me to ring up that sandwich for you? What is it? They're like, it's a pastrami. I'm like, it's a number nine. They're like, oh, number nine, okay. Like, they don't know their business. So I told Pat and Kevin, I said, here's exactly what happened. This business went up for sale, and this guy or this uh, wife happened to see it and say, honey, I got a great idea. We could buy this Togo's over here? and just make sandwiches and like probably make a bunch of money you can quit your job we'll have a little sandwich shop like this is gonna be great no business experience whatsoever yeah no idea on how to run a business their employees are quitting every five minutes like nobody's showing up for work they got their kids in the summertime like 10 year olds and 12 year olds making sandwiches like it's a disaster bro but it's exactly what happened. They, they thought it would be a good idea to buy this business, and they've probably never, ever owned their own business before in their life. Yeah, let's get into the hoagie business. We'll fucking sling, we'll sling hoagies and fucking get rich. Yeah, 12 inches. You know, how many times, Anthony, have we had a conversation where like, well, why don't more people own businesses? Like, why wouldn't you want to own a business? And then Gary Vee said it the best. He goes, uh, most people can't do it. Mm-hmm. And I, the older I get, the harder, it just, it's fucking hard. It's very hard. Imagine working twenty hours straight every fucking day for a year and getting paid zero. How do we? How nobody's do we, gonna do that. Nobody's gonna. Nobody's gonna work fucking forty-eight. When we launched New CRM, we were here for fucking a week straight. I was up here for four days straight. You know, I have a family and kids at home. Like, who's gonna fucking do that? Are you gonna do that all day and then get? Uh, I mean, for what you guys did to me, like, no gratification. You guys didn't like fucking. <laughs> <bend me around. laughs> no gratification. Dumping up a piece of shit. And you know what? It's just hard. You know, hard emotionally <laughs> and hard hard financially. It's fucking tough. Look, same thing with you guys. I, I, I got up at 5 o'clock this morning, right? Got ready for my day. And it's fucking 7 o'clock at night now. I, I'm, I'm not making any money doing this podcast. I'm just a guest on your fucking show. <laughs> well, let me ask you a question. How do, we, how do we make this make money, right? So how do we set something up? where we could have the people that know us and however this grows, whatever, how we could set up people to work from home, to throw a headset on, to make sales from home and make 10, 20 grand a month and we run the whole campaign and give them an easy way to just talk all day and make money from home and they'll get paid 1099 like they're self-employed and have their own little work at home business selling on the phones while they take care of their families. How do we do that? We can definitely do that, but I think we need to start that fresh on the next podcast. That's exactly what I was going to say. I say, till next time. Because I don't think we have anybody listening to the end of this one. Everybody's listening right now, dude. They all want to make 20 grand a month from home on the fucking dialer. How do we do it? I mean, I, I, I think that we can come up with something like that. You know, if we get a big enough following and we get some people expressing interest, you know, comment, uh, you know, if you'd be interested in something like that or... Hit the like button or share with your friends. I what fucking whatever. like button? We're on a podcast. I, I don't fucking know. Fucking leave Le- a comment. Leave us a review. Leave us a review saying, hey, I want to work from home, make 20 grand a month. Can you set me up? 
It will set you up. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll come up with a you know I've got I've, I've got to pull out my book of ideas and uh, <laughs> see what's going to make the most sense for a work from home model. And if yeah, if you want to do it, I'll give you Mike's picks for the fights too, and you could do a little gambling on the side. <laughs> How about that? Well, a two and one deal. I like that. All right, you're gonna get you're gonna get a business don't model. Hey, don't yeah, yeah, don't give out the website no more. We're gonna sell Mike's picks. That's our new business model. <laughs> We're gonna sell picks over the phone. Like that. Business model, right? Could we used to call it the still is. Like, the, yeah. like that movie with fucking uh with uh Matthew uh, McConaughey, two for the money. Yeah, it's still a business model. People are selling. You can buy football picks for five thousand dollars a month, and you're buying the picks to bet. What a business. Yeah. All right, I don't want to talk to you guys no more. I think we're over an hour now, anyway. So I'm glad we talked about a lot of call center stuff. Wait, hey, remember that one time where I was sitting eating that slice of pizza in the office and my face blew up and, like, I looked like fucking Bongo? Remember? Remember my eyes looked like I got hit by Mike Tyson? What was that from? Well, the problem is right now my eyes are starting to feel the same. We got to end, dude. I'm going to start talking, like, with a mumble. Oh, I wish we were live. Your eyes swelling up, which could be swelled shut like a boxer? Yeah, the podcast is over. (laughs) It's over, dude. All right, guys, until next time, uh, come find us on Call Center BS on Facebook. Come to our website, callcenterbs.com. Make sure you come to the live shows on Thursdays at 1 o'clock Eastern time. I'm also posting the replay of the live show up on, uh, on our YouTube channel, Call Center BS. Until next week, see you later. Bye. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. Tune in to Facebook and Instagram for our live shows at Call Center BS. Visit our website, callcenterbs.com, to connect with us for any call center solutions you may need.